Thank you, Rick. Good morning, Community Grace. Good morning. We live in a time of unprecedented, widespread deception. This past year saw 750 documented data breaches stealing the private information of 178 million Americans. That's more than half. That means some of your information has been stolen. Identity thieves steal millions of credit card numbers, running up bills in your name. And when they steal your social security number, they file a tax form and steal your tax refund. Telephone scammers, are these familiar to you? They prey on everybody, but especially on the elderly. The biggest scam right now is fraudsters who pose as agents of the IRS and tell people that they will be arrested or their property seized if taxes, back taxes, aren't paid. Does anybody know anybody that's gotten one of those phone calls? Or how about this one? They, they call as a tech support telling you that there's a virus infecting your computer and they need your password and information to fix it for you. While these schemes are very costly financially if they get a hold of you, spiritual deception can result in something far more costly, a person's spiritual ruin or a person's eternal ruin, spiritual deception. Satan has been employing his deceptive lies to lure away millions of people ever since his downfall lure people away from the true gospel that the apostles preached, that we proclaim, that the Word of God teaches. And it's not just Satan to blame. Our flesh, see, our flesh likes Satan's lies. It feels good to believe some of these deceptions. We're going to talk about this today. Beyond that, cults also use the Bible. Know that they exist. They claim to believe in Jesus, but then they preach that there is no such thing as the Trinity or that Jesus wasn't God, or that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross isn't enough for your salvation. And tragically, they lead their followers into devastated lives and ultimately eternal damnation as well. People in our own churches get led astray by these deceptions as well. Brothers and sisters, spiritual warfare is real and serious. And it's where we go next in our series on Colossians as we enter chapter 2 for the next three weeks. Go ahead and open your Bibles, if you have them, to Colossians chapter 2, and pull out your sermon notes from the bulletin. And if you don't have a Bible or sermon notes, these guys have both your bulletins and Bibles, English and Spanish. Just raise your hand if you need any of those. We want you to be equipped for our time together today. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> Just a bit of review of our Colossians series so far. We've been in chapter 1 for the last four weeks. Our series is titled, Christ is Greater Than All. Christ, Greater Than All. And you have to keep that in mind as we talk about everything in life. But keep that in mind that Christ is greater than all. And if you remember, if you've been here any of the last few weeks, we've talked about false teachers who were threatening this new Colossian church. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, was aware of this as he was writing this letter that there were wolves mingling among the flock, just like there are today. And so the Apostle Paul, writing this letter, is now moving into chapter 2. He's very concerned for these people that he loves, as we all should be, about deceptions. 
So we are going to break chapter 2 into three parts, but I want you to see the next three sermons as one unit. Part 1 today, part 2 next Sunday, part 3 the Sunday after that. In the next three messages, Paul is about to open a full-scale attack on false religions, deceptions that lead people astray from Christ. He gets, he gets after it. He gets after the false religious, cultic, and cultural ideas, any of those that are infecting the church and leading it away from the majesties of Christ. So Paul starts today where we should by focusing on the truth first. And that's what we see in the first seven verses that we're going to explore right now, so that we will be forewarned and forearmed for the spiritual warfare that we're in, ready to follow Christ. He's the mighty warrior king, and we're going to follow him. So we're going to get ready today by focusing on walking strong in truth. And that's the sermon title today, Walk Strong in Truth. That's what God has for us today. The next two weeks, we'll turn our attention toward fighting strong against deception. But for today, we're walking strong in the truth. Colossians 2, some people have said, becomes the heart of the book. The heart. Since the eternal destiny of, of precious souls is at stake, and the spiritual success and fruit of our own lives is also at stake by walking strong in truth and not being fooled by deceptions, we need this word in our lives today. So here we go. Walk strong in truth. I want to draw out three ways from these first seven verses that we walk strong, that we walk strong in truth. Paul says the first way is to make sure that we are not walking alone in the conflict, but, or not being in conflict with each other, uh, but walking strong in unity. Point number one to walking strong in the truth is to walk strong together in unity. Let's see what he says in the first three verses. Follow along with me. He writes, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So go back to verse 1. He begins saying, I struggle for you. I struggle for you. What kind of struggle is that? Is he, is he fighting people? No, he's not. The struggle that he has for his loved ones is prayer and the anxiety and the concern that he has knowing that they're being fooled and led astray, that false teachers are among them. And so he bears this burden for them. And you feel that way about people that you love as well. We, we struggle and we pray and we love and we have deep concerns for people. And I feel that same burden for community grace. And I hope that you do too, for your brothers and sisters. So Paul tells them of, of his struggling, his strong concern for them, so that they could understand the seriousness of their situation. That's what we're entering right now. This is a serious situation. So he's actively struggling and longing for them and praying for them. And what is his desired outcome? It says right there, so that, it says, my prayer is, my hope is, what is it? That you would walk strong in unity. That's our point number one. He says that your hearts may be encouraged and 
never alone, but being knit together in love. Just think about that metaphor, being knit together. That's pretty solid, right? No one's tearing us apart if we're knit together in love. So I'm going I'm to just ask you right now, we're supposed to be knit together in love. Brothers and sisters, as this church family that God has given us with. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn to the side of you and say, I love you, brother, or I love you, sister, whoever's sitting around you. Go ahead. All right. Some people are taking this pretty far here. I'm okay with that to a certain point. Now, what a great way to live, right? Loving each other together. This honors Christ. It supports each other. We bear each other's burdens. We carry each other. We're there for each other. We're going to propel each other to, to new places. We're stronger together. We're stronger. How? Lots of ways. We're stronger lots of ways together. But Paul identifies next two specific ways how we're stronger together when we're knit together in love. Just look in verse 3, reaching full assurance, full assurance from understanding. So we're going to be assured of Christ, of the truth, as we're together feeding off of each other. That's cool. That's exciting. And then second, we'll reach the full knowledge of the mystery, which is Christ, in whom all treasures of all wisdom and knowledge. We lead each other to this full assurance and full knowledge of Christ as we're together walking in him and his truth. So what does that mean for us? It means Christians gain confidence in Christ. We gain confidence in Christ for our lives. We, we gain confidence that we can trust him and that we stand for him and walk in him. And we have full knowledge of Christ. It's called truth. And we can walk strong in our lives in it. Not ignoring the truth that we've been given. And not only thinking about it when life stinks. We walk in it all the time, and it makes us strong. And that's a stronger foundation for life than any other religion or false teaching or deception has to offer. So think about that as you're being tempted to be swayed away from Christ. None of it's got a strong foundation like we have in Christ, in His truth. Now, so from these opening three verses, just to recap how this applies to us, we see that we need to, as Christ followers, we need to be concerned for each other's faith. We need to struggle for each other's purity. We need to hate the thought of a brother or sister being alone or not united in our love. And we need to have the goal of knowledge and full understanding of Christ in us, His people, His church. It's a great way to live, sharing in love of Jesus. That's the first way we walk in unity. And the more unified we are, the stronger we are, and the stronger we are, the more impact we'll have in the world. Now this is very encouraging, but truth, as encouraging as it is, is not only for encouragement, it is also for warning. Now we get into the spiritual battle. We don't just stand for truth. We don't just 
enjoy being in it, we stand against the lies, the deceptions, the distortions that cause all the spiritual ruin. We've got to stand against that. So that's where Paul goes next. We walk strong in unity first, and the second way we walk strong is we walk strong in warning. Verses 4 and 5. Brothers and sisters, we walk strong in warning. Let's read these two verses. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. We're going to meditate and dwell on verse 4 for a little bit. The first thing Paul does is warn us. And remember, this is part of our ministry. If you were here last week, then you remember this verse, verse 28. We'll be putting it on the screen. Remember, we talked about the ministry that we have as Christ followers, and that includes warning. Him we proclaim. We proclaim Christ. What's the next thing? Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So warning people is part of our ministry. It's part of who we are. It's part of what we've been called by Jesus to do. And the reason for Paul's concern was that the Colossians didn't recognize the danger that they were in. They didn't recognize it. We can't recognize the danger we're in unless somebody warns us. So warning is so important in our, in our lives, in our ministry. And trust me, we don't always recognize the danger we're in either. How important is it to be warned when there's danger ahead? So I have a fun little, uh, fun little quiz I'm going to lead you through uh, to help us see the, the importance of being warned when there's danger ahead. All right, so for this quiz, everybody needs a pen and a piece of paper. It doesn't matter what. You can use any of the, the bulletin notes or sermon or, or sermon notes or communication card that you have in front of you. So you, need, you need to grab your pen. This is part of, the re- part of the things we can do now that we know everybody has a pen. It's kind of fun. So I'm going to show five pictures of warning signs, and you write down what you think they are warning you of. Okay, we'll go through all five, and then we'll go back and see if anybody gets all five of them correct. All right, here we go. Number one. Okay, write that down. Don't say it out loud because, you know, it's a contest. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Okay, got that. Number two. All right, write down what you think that is. Okay, now number three. This one might, might trick some people. I don't know. Okay, get that. Now number four. <laughs> I'm going to love whoever gets this. Okay, and number five. All right, do you have all your answers written down? I know you had to write fast there. Okay, let's go back to the first one, and we'll review it. What's this one? Okay, Railroad Crossing. That's easy. We have a lot of those around here. What's the second one? Slippery when wet. Very good, very good. What's the third one? Radiation warning, radiation area. That's pretty important to know if you're entering a radiation area, right? It's a good thing to be warned about. Number four. <laughs> Giant mouse. 
I hear so many different things, I can't tell if anybody's got it right or not. This is Tasmanian Devil Crossing. <laughs> Did you get that? You were so close. Your second guess. Had to get a fun one in there. That, that's from Australia, not Warsaw. <laughs> I think he's cute. And number five. Strong current. Very good. Strong river flow, strong current. With this one on the screen for another minute, let me ask you, how important would it be to you if you're floating down the river on a nice leisurely float on the inner tubes with your family, the kids are on one, an inner tube that's kind of half deflated, you know, you're, <laughs> you're just cruising down the river, but you don't know that up ahead around the bend, three rivers converge and make a very dangerous, life-threatening white water rapid. And people have died there and drowned there from the current. How important is it to you that you and your family seize that kind of a warning sign that there's danger ahead? That's pretty important, isn't it? And for a lot of us, the Christian life seems like a nice, easy flow down the river. You know, we go to church, we read the Bible, we do our jobs. We make money, we pay the bills. Things go pretty well in life. But then suddenly it dawns on us that we are being caught up in some strange river. It could be the river of doubt. All of a sudden you're doubting whether God is real or that you have faith, that you've been saved by Him. Or you find yourself caught up in a river of distraction. I don't have time for reading the Bible or I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to go to church because I'm so busy with whatever it is. Or you're, you notice that you're caught up in, in a river of feeling down. I feel worthless. I feel depressed. Caught up in a river of disbelief. Life has gotten so hard, I don't know if I can believe there's a God anymore. Look at verse 4 again. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. We warn for this reason. Now let's focus on what these words mean. Delude means water down, just distract you, pull you away from your firm foundation. With what? With plausible arguments. That's the translation that we use the ESV says plausible arguments. And Paul introduces that concept here, and he's going to talk a lot more about that over the next two weeks worth of messages. That's the big focus. And I'm going to ask, don't miss the next two weeks. Invite friends and family to hear these with you because they are extremely relevant for us today. But let's just look at this, this plausible word. You know, you can look in the dictionary for definition. Another neat place to, to look for definition is Look at several different English translations of the Bible. And I did that for this word, plausible, arguments. Here's how some of the other translations write that. Fine-sounding arguments. Well-crafted arguments. Smooth arguments. Persuasive words. Enticing arguments. You get the picture? These are 
attractive, fine-sounding, smooth, enticing arguments that lead us away from Christ. They're out there, lots and lots of them. Plausible arguments get very convincing and they get very popular. And warning is needed. It's needed as a part of our lives and our ministry. You notice that warning is never needed for crazy ideas? Like if somebody's in this church trying to teach everybody that Jesus was actually a woman named Jessica, there's not a lot of people signing up for their Bible study, right? They go, oh, tell me more about that. We just, call the, we just say, you're crazy, and then we move on. But the things that trick us are the things that sound really good, that mix in half-truths with some distortions, and they can lead people astray. Let me give you an example of one, just one plausible argument that has exploded in America in the last 10, 20 years. And sadly, it's exploded through American churches as well these days. It's the argument of relativism, which we'll talk more about next week. But I want to start here with this as an example. That's just simply, it means whatever's true for you, man, is true for you. Whatever's true for me is true for me. That is so dominant in American culture right now. And it doesn't even make any sense. You're saying there is no absolute truth. Wait a minute, is that absolutely true? I mean, it's just wildly inconsistent and it doesn't make any sense at all. But it feels good. It feels good to just release everybody to their own whatever. It feels good to not have to be the one that says, no, there is truth. And it's important for you to know. And speaking of eternity... Jesus makes a strong claim that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no person makes it to the Father but through me. Now, that's an exclusive claim of truth. But it feels better to say the Jew who rejects Jesus as the Christ, they're going to be okay. They're not going to hell. The Muslim that says Jesus is a good prophet but not the Son of God, they're going to be fine too. They're not going to hell. The pagan who believes in anything but the Bible, they're going to be fine. They're not going to hell. The person who grew up in this church who hasn't repented and trusted Jesus as their Savior, they're fine. They, go, they went to church. They're not going to hell. It feels just comfortable to say everybody's going to be fine and all roads lead to God in the end. And that feels good to say that. But Christians claim the truth of the Bible because we believe that Christ is the creator of all truth. And so his truth is the only truth. And we're okay with that. That's our ministry. That's our passion. And we believe that the most loving thing that we can do is to tell people that. And they'll believe it if the Holy Spirit draws them in to faith. He's given us the role and responsibility and, and, the, and the expression of love to stand in the truth, to stand by it and believe that it's the best thing we can do to tell people the truth. It's the most loving thing that we can do is to tell the truth, even if they attack us, even if they throw stones at us. Which Jesus says, is at the heart of Christianity, that persecution. It's fine. We share in the glories of, of, of Christ's sufferings. Okay, so that's just one example of a plausible argument that sounds good, but leads people astray. It leads people to hell, away from giving their lives to Christ. 
And it leads Christians off of our mission, onto who knows what else. It's plausible arguments that so many other things that are more important than Jesus. But Christ is greater than all. So many plausible arguments, deceptions that lead us to our emptiness. And we wonder, what is wrong? What's going on? Paul is saying, watch out, be warned, and warn other people of this. There are so many, countless distortions, deceptions, and plausible arguments out there. So let's consider where they come from, just real practically. How do those get into our lives, creep into our lives, and, and what do we need to be warned of and careful of in our own life? I'll just say kids browse the internet on their phone, their smartphones or their, or their friends' phones, and they get inundated with all kinds of decep- deceptions like this, these plausible arguments. Just be careful of that. Adults watch secular show or movie after secular show or movie every day. Six to eight hours a day is the average person in America's screen time. (laughs) It's almost unfathomable. And all these shows and movies are exquisitely crafted through every sense that we have and every emotion to embed deep within us false worldviews. And we don't think it's affecting us until we realize that it has affected our worldview. So slowly we get led away from the truth and hardened and calloused or depressed or confused. Just watch out. Just be careful. Pursue purity and holiness. Teens go off to college and return with their Christian faith destroyed or their enthusiasm for Christ gone, turned into cynicism. And why is that? Because they've been exposed to well-crafted, fine-sounding teachings of human wisdom and they've been deluded. Let's just watch out for those things. Let's warn people of those things. And those teens, those college students that, where that happens to, either no one warned them sufficiently, and nobody's doing in their lives what I'm doing right now, and what you parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters in Christ should be doing, or maybe they have been warned, but they haven't listened. So if that's you, I'm going to ask you to listen to the warning and pursue Christ in your life. This is where we are right now, and... It's an important message from God's Word. Together we walk strong. In isolation, we're raw meat. (laughs) We'll get pulled away. We'll get attacked. Together we walk strong. The Colossians were united and they were walking strong so far. And Paul notices that as we get to verse 5. He encourages them for that. And it's good to encourage each other along this walk. All right, we've got the warning. Paul doesn't just leave it there. In fact, verse 4 is very short. Then he goes to verse 5 and says, but let's focus on some good things. We need to celebrate and rejoice over some good things. Okay, so let's celebrate the wins, the good that we do see. Uh, Ministry leaders, celebrate the good that you see within your ministries. Parents, celebrate the good that you see with your kids. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's good things and bad things happening all the time. Really celebrate the good things. Praise them for for good things that you see. Friends, celebrate every Christ-like victory that your friends have in their lives. Because here's 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 an important principle of life. 
that I've, that I've had to finally just really commit to life practice. Here it is. What gets celebrated gets repeated. Okay, what gets celebrated gets repeated. So, you know, when you were a kid and your parents praised you for something, what did that make you want to do? More of that, right? So celebrate the victories in, in your lives along the way. And that's what Paul does in verse 5, where he says, Though I am absent with the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now, I love what he does here, and this is important for me to, to point out. These are great encouraging words, and they certainly make us happy to see. Uh, but Paul does something else right here. He introduces battle language. He uses two military terms here. This is something that gets lost in translation to English. The Greek words he uses for your good order and firmness are both military terms that mean your orderly formation and your readiness for battle. Okay, Paul is happy to see their strong, united, ready resistance as a church and their readiness for battle to stay committed to Christ, to stay on his mission, to glorify him and do all these good things of ministry to the people around them. And we also, brothers and sisters, are should be encouraged as we're standing strong in those same ways. Americans are generally comfortable physically, but we are in a war spiritually. And so we stand strong together and ready for battle. And now Paul moves on to his focus one last time in our text today to verses 6 and 7, our, our last point here. Verse 6 begins with the word therefore, which always tells you something's coming. Either some kind of application or some kind of conclusion or some kind of purpose statement. So that's a, that's a really key word there. In this case, Paul says one more thing about our walk in truth. He makes it very clear who it is that we walk strong in. Not in our own power. Not in our own commitment. Not in our own hard work. Not in our own bravery alone. But we walk strong in Christ. We walk strong in Christ. Therefore, he says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Just as you received Jesus Christ as your Lord, have you done that? Have you received Jesus as your Lord? That's an intentional choice. He's done all the work. You just need to receive it. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior from sin and received new life in Him? If you haven't, today could be the day you do that. His hand is open anytime for you to come on into new life in Him. So just as you've received that, I'm going to assume that most of us have and speak to you now. Just as you've received him, now walk in him. Actually, Paul says to do 
He says five characteristics here. It just rattles them off right in a row. And I just want to point out what Paul's doing here in this wonderful sentence. It's amazing. Just as you've received Jesus, if you've done that, do these five things. Walk in Him, be rooted in Him, be built up in Him, be established in the faith, and be abounding in thankfulness. Real briefly about each one of those. Walk in Him. When we walk with a friend or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a spouse or somebody that's, you know, when we walk with somebody, our relationship grows, right? Whether that's just one long walk on a sunny day or whether that's a picture of our walk through life, through all the ups and downs, the hard things that we've walked together with life. Sarah and I are going to have our 15th anniversary next week, and we have walked. We've taken a lot of walks. And we've walked through a lot of life together. The ups and the downs. And those walks together have strengthened our relationship. And here's the, same, here's the thing. Christianity is about relationship. You know, it's almost dangerously becoming like cliche. Like, oh yeah, that's what I mean. Christian is about relationship, not religion. How many times have you heard that? Okay. But it's so true. This is the God of the universe that has proven over and over that he knows everything about us and he wants us to know him and walk with him. And so here's the life principle is every part of your life, every decision, every moment of your life, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, walk with Christ in it. Just as you received him, walk every moment with him. Be rooted in him. All right? He's touching you gardening-minded people out there. You know the importance of, of a good, strong root system. Be rooted in Him and be built up in Him. Now He's touching you building-minded people out there. Okay, He wants everybody to grasp this in every way. Be built up in Him. Be established in the faith. The word established here is contractual language. Make a contract. He's connecting you with, with you legal people here and you business people. All right, established, just like Amazon or McDonald's or whatever your favorite store is, they are established businesses, okay? He wants you to be established in your faith. Get that? Because you're walking with him. We are established in the faith in Christ, and then as a result, be abounding in thankfulness. And this is a way we grow in a relationship with someone. We say thank you a lot. And I'd encourage you, if you want to grow a relationship, any kind, say thank you a lot. And that's what we do in our relationship with the Lord. Say, thank you, Lord. And we'll have a chance to do that in, in our singing in just a moment. Let's praise and worship. Praise is, a, is an opportunity to say thank you, Lord, for everything. But make that a way of life here as we walk strong in the truth, ready for the next two weeks. Let me give you three next steps that we can take today to put this into action right now. Three important ways, three important next steps. The first is to be unified with your church. Be unified. That's where Paul started. We walk strong in unity. And here's a little bullet point progression of what that looks like. All right? No gossip. Gossip destroys unity. It's just, it's just awful. That's what the Bible says it is. Second is to forgive. Unforgiveness destroys unity in relationships. Be ready to forgive. Choose to forgive. I know it's hard. Three is love. Love is a choice too. Love each other here. Not just the people that love you back either. 
support. Support each other. Support the work of the church. Support this family that you're uniting with. Encourage each other along the way. Be baptized here. That's a direct way to be unified with this church. And then become a member is the way that you formally commit to being a part of this church. Those are just some ideas. Whichever one the Holy Spirit's speaking to you on right now, I encourage you to take that next step today or this week. Second then is analyze your doctrine. That's what you believe. This is more personal. Analyze everything that you believe. Is it truth? Don't leave any stone unturned. Think about everything that you believe about everything. Compare it with the Word of God, our absolute authority in our lives. This is where you find truth. By God's grace, He's he's given that to us. And here's what God's Word says. 3 John 1.4 could really have been the, the theme for this sermon. The Apostle John writes, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. It's pretty sweet. Walking in the truth. You come to Christ, you don't know anything. You don't know everything, that's for sure. It takes your whole life to pursue truth in every area of your life. So that's what I encourage you to do. Analyze everything you believe against what the Word says. Is it true? Okay, and number three, invite everyone to come to next week's service and Easter. Here's what we're going to do. I was eager to, I was actually going to have these passed out last week, but they weren't ready from Vistaprint yet. Uh, They are here today. Um, Last week we talked about having a ministry and a mission. Our mission is to proclaim him, warning everybody, teaching them uh, everything that Jesus has taught. So um, what I'm going to do is, these are 10 packs of church business cards, the brand new, new design. They can also be used as invitation cards. When you're out in your normal life, uh, reaching people for Christ, letting them see who you are as a Christ follower, and you start conversations, um, it's good to have something in your hand that you can give them to follow up and can continue the conversation. So my, I'm going to give you a personal challenge. Uh, look, look around how many people are here today. My personal challenge is that everybody or, or every family gives away 10 of these this week. Just give them to cashiers. You can say something or not. Give them out in the park. Leave them, leave them somewhere. Leave them with a tip. Make sure the tip is good. Okay? Make sure the tip is really good. Um, and get 10 of these out. Now, if everybody does that, that's going to be thousands. What's the Holy Spirit going to do with that? And what's the Holy Spirit going to do in your own heart as you're following the mission that Jesus has given us? So grab a 10-pack. Uh, you're going to get handed those. There's, there are English and Spanish versions available. You can take some of each, whatever. There's going to be some kids handing you them at all the exit doors when you exit today. And then next week, we'll celebrate how it goes. I want to hear some stories. We're going to have stories of our own. You'll notice that the, if you're like me, you'll notice the first one is always the hardest. The second one gets easier, and then you start getting really excited about it. So obey, obey Christ in all things and see what he does through that. And what if people do come and they don't look like us? Will we accept them? I want to challenge you to be open. When you're on Jesus' mission, it gets messy sometimes. Let's pray and commit all these things in our offering that we're going to take now to him.
Lord, I thank you so much for this passage of Scripture that we get to meditate in together today and keep on our hearts and our minds and our worship throughout this week as we walk with you in every, every moment of life. I pray your Spirit does his greatest work in reminding us of that and convicting us of things that we're doing astray from you. I pray that we're excited as we stand strong together for where you're calling us to go as a church and what you're calling us to do. I pray that you'll bless the hundreds or thousands of cards that may be given out today. Each, each and every one is a divine appointment. Lord, I pray right now that you'll do great things in them and in us, in our hearts, as we just become followers of Christ. Lord, we are looking forward to giving back our worship whether it's through the act of giving, uh, singing, confessing, and then expressing love for each other as we go. We pray all these things because we can in Jesus' name. Amen.